Well, people of God, our, our gospel lesson for today, the third Sunday after Pentecost, comes from Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 through 39. Jesus says to his disciples, a disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground unperceived by your father, and even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. Those of you who know me, who are from this community, have probably heard me talk about the fact that I like to have a drink on a fairly regular basis. I'm a fan of wine. I'm a fan of beer. And in recent times, about the last three or four months or so, I have embarked in a new hobby, a new journey, something I've always hoped to do, and that is to make my own wine and now beer. Now, the first step that I took was to make wine. And I began this step back in the beginning of February. So we're going back a few months. And that was kind of a lengthy process. It took a couple of months before the wine was ready. I first tried it uh, right towards the end of April when I cracked open the first bottle and I poured out a glass and I took a taste and I thought, well, that's pretty decent. And then I held it up to the light and I looked and well, it maybe didn't look so great. It was kind of the wrong color, but I thought, Okay, color aside, it tastes like it's supposed to be. I kind of like it. Well, fast forward just a little bit, and I and a friend of mine decided that we were going to embark on a slightly different, though certainly related, type situation. And this is to make beer, to brew our own beer, to join in countless different people who have home brewed across the ages, even going all the way back and including the great Martin Luther, the namesake of our denomination. So we began the process. And to do so, we thought we'd start small. We didn't want to aim for the, the moon or aim for the stars for our first get, uh, go around. So we each made a small one gallon batch of a couple of different varieties. And if we back up, 
one week ago, one week ago today, that was the first opportunity for us to open up the bottles that have, have fermented and aged and were now ready and to try our beer to see what we thought. So we actually did this a week ago, right after church was done. It was kind of a funny situation. We went over, we grabbed a bottle of each of the two varieties and we popped them open and we were happy to hear that little hiss of carbonation. That was a good first sign. And we poured into a couple of glasses our first one and we tried it and we thought, that's pretty good. And we enjoyed it, it was nice. And then we opened up the second bottle, the second variety, same deal. It had that nice pop of carbonation. We poured it into the two glasses. We each, we, we cheers, cheers, we clinked our, whatever you call it. We, we toasted and we tried it and it tasted good. We both thought, yes, we have made beer and it's good. Now, what does that have to do with the passage that we've read today. Maybe not a whole lot, but I think it all stems from the same sort of theme that we've been on. If you happen to have caught our last few uh, scripture lessons, our last few messages, our last few worship services, this ongoing theme, this, this theme that's emerging as Jesus is talking to his disciples about the mission that they are joining him on. If you caught last week's, that's what we heard about, is Jesus offers the invitation to the 12 disciples to come into the ministry that he is currently embarking on. This is before his death, before his resurrection. This is before the Great Commission in which Jesus tells the disciples to go make disciples of all nations. But they are being invited into this itinerant, moving around, proclaiming the gospel, healing diseases, casting out demons, proclaiming that the kingdom has come near. This is what they are joining into. That was the invitation that we heard about last week. And Jesus continues to tell them the truth about what they are going to experience when they do this. Now, at this point, which is still fairly early in the gospel, Jesus has actually already been attracting great crowds, but he's also been attracting opposition. People who claim that what he is saying and what he is doing is not right. It, it's messing up the status quo. It's not the way things are supposed to be. This is how we've always done it. That can't be. So he's taken this opposition, even being called Beisable, which is the Lord of the demons, um, kind of perhaps another name that we might think of for it for the devil. Um, it would be one way of thinking about this. They say, he's of the devil. He is of beisable. It's a hard one to say. And then as we hear, as he opens up, he says, don't expect that you're going to be treated any better than I am. The, the disciple is not going to be higher than the master. The slave, no greater than the master. So if they call me beisable, expect the same. They will malign you as well. He goes on to tell them that there is going to be opposition, that there are going to be people who will oppose them. They will be arrested. Some of them will be killed. In fact, all but one of them ultimately will be killed in their ongoing mission. Jesus is being honest about what they can expect. It is not going to be easy. And I think we all know that in our lives of faith, just becoming a believer or confessing faith in Christ or a follower of Christ or a Christian, whatever we want to call it, it does not excuse us from hardship. We experience it too. We also experience opposition to the message that we proclaim, that we too are invited to come into, to stand with those who are marginalized, to, to proclaim good news to the captives, to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of heaven has come near, that God has come near to us now. That's what we hear in this passage. And Jesus goes on as well, and he talks about division. Not only opposition, but flat-out division. 
Don't think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've come to bring a sword. I've come to bring division. Father against son, daughter against mother, family against family, person against person. There will be division. And I find myself wondering, where does that come from? What is the basis for that? Now, I'm not denying that it exists. I know it does. But what is the basis for all of this division? What is it about Jesus' message that is so divisive? Because think about his message. Think about the very core tenets of the message that Jesus has proclaimed. He has asked at one point within the Gospels, we see it several different times in the different Gospels, Master, good teacher, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus says, love God. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So if the basis for the kingdom of heaven, if the basis for the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of the 10 commandments is to love God and love our neighbor, what is so divisive about that? What is so strange? What is so hard for people to understand? And as I thought about that, and I thought about things in light of current events, in what we're seeing in our society, in what we're seeing in, in the, the division of, of wealth, and what we're seeing in the division of, of all kinds of things. We see all sorts of division and, and ways that, that some people are pushed to the margins and some take advantage. We, we see it with, with racism. We see it with, with sexism. We see it with, with equality of all sorts of types across the spectrum. We see all kinds of things. And if Jesus' message is love God and love our neighbor, how is that manifested? Why is that divisive in the midst of a situation like we find ourselves in right now? And as I thought about that, I couldn't help but think that if the love of God is so perfect and universal for all of creation, maybe that's where things start to get divisive. Because think about it. Think about some of the themes that have emerged. A few weeks ago, we talked about the creation story from the first chapter of Genesis. And I kind of keep coming back to that because I think it's such an important thing for us to remember that God makes all of this. And God makes one, one step, God calls it good. God does another step, God calls it good. God does another step, God calls it good. God continues to take delight, to take joy in that which is created. And that culminates in the human race, which God calls very good. All of the human race is, is created bearing the divine image. And if that's the case, then the divine love of God that we claim in our baptismal identity, that we claim as followers of Christ, if all of humanity bears that same divine image and is called good, very good, and God takes delight in it, then that means that that same love of God is for everyone. And not only that, but if we continue through with all of the various things that we see over and over and over again in the scriptures, we continue to find a God who is found with the marginalized. We continue to see a God who chooses to be found, who sides with the underdog. We see it when the Israelites are slaves in Egypt and God sides with them. We see it over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, including the gospels, when Jesus is con continually being found on the opposite side of the line that everyone thinks that's unacceptable. And then we find Jesus standing on the other side of that line. And folks, that's divisive. That kind of perfect, sacrificial, all-in love is not something that everyone is ready to accept. 
Sure, we might think that we're capable of receiving it. We might think that we're worthy of receiving it, but we have the tendency to look across whatever line we like to draw, whatever dividing line that we ourselves like to create and say, I'm worthy of it, even though I know I'm not perfect, but they're not. I get it, they don't. And Jesus continues to say over and over and over and over again, I'm on that side of the line. And maybe we can't handle that. But we even find evidence of this whole thing. It's almost like a big circle as we consider the the individual portion of scripture that we had today. So Jesus is talking about the, the opposition that the disciples will face. And then at the end, he's talking about the divisive nature of the ministry that they're, that they're joining, that they're coming into. But in the middle, Jesus makes a statement that I think is fascinating. He says, don't be afraid of all that. Remember that all of creation is good and God sees it all and God is aware of it all and not anything happens outside the eyes of God. Nothing happens outside the attention of God. Even a sparrow does not fall to the ground without being noticed by God. And then Jesus says, and you are worth many sparrows. Even the hairs on your head are counted. You are wonderfully and joyfully made by the one who made all of this, the one who takes delight in all of this, the one that takes delight in you. But the one that takes delight in you also takes delight in the one that's on the other side of that line which we have created that we think is unworthy. God says, no, they are worthy of this too. They are recipients of God's grace. They are recipients of this good news of the kingdom coming near to us. Now, how's all this combine in? Well, it all connects in, as Jesus says, as you carry this message, this message which will blow the mind of people who cannot bear to give up the, 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 the authority or the power that the world says they have to also create equality, to also create an even playing field with those who God takes delight in, that as they cannot handle this good news that God takes delight in them, that will be divisive and there will be opposition to it. And there will be some that will accept it and there will be some that won't. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus is saying, as you carry that message, as you bring this forward into this world, a world that cannot handle this sort of all in love, there will be opposition, but your worth is assured in the eyes of the one who made you in the first place the one who called you good in the first place, the one that takes delight in you because God made you. Now, this is where I'm going all the way back, and here's where we're connecting back in with that crazy story that I shared from a week ago when my friend and I opened up those bottles of beer that we had made. Now, were they spectacular? Maybe not. Were they the best tasting thing ever? Maybe not. Are there better beers out there? Probably so, but we made it. This was something that we had created and we took delight in it. Just like the wine going all the way back, which maybe looked a little weird. It looked a little different than what we think it's supposed to look like. But when I took that sip, I'm like, that's good. And I like it because I take delight in that which I have made. Folks, this same principle applies. And this is the promise that Jesus is making for us today. As we join in the mission, as we join in the ministry of reconciling this world back to the God who has redeemed it through Jesus Christ, through the awesome, amazing, way beyond any capacity for us to understand or comprehend the amazing all in love of God that's expressed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we join in that, as we recognize the amazing love of God that is for all people, that we are all 
created in the delight of God. Those who can't handle that will push back. But don't let that worry you. Don't let that stop you from proclaiming that message because the one who made you takes delight in you. And that is the one who holds your future in his perfect hands.